in the township that we work in, um, school is free. However, uh, they can't get into school unless they have the full kit, right? the full uniform and shoes and all that. And so there's about 130 children from this township that start school each year, but the majority of them cannot because their families can't afford all the paraphernalia. So, uh, and of course, if they don't start the first year, the odds of them ever starting is really minimal. Welcome to the Missions Pastor Podcast presented by One Child. One Child is a global community of child champions that serves children in poverty so they can discover hope and reach their God-given potential. We believe that the local church has the message of hope that the world desperately needs to hear. And in every episode, we highlight churches, pastors, and ministries who are working to bring that hope to hard places. I'm David Jesse. I'm your host for today's conversation with Jody Ray. Jody is the pastor of missions at Chet's Creek Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Helping children in extreme poverty is a central focus of Chet's Creek. So I asked Jody to share how this came about and why it's so important. Wow. Well, first off, just mission or uh, children is probably the biggest portion of what we do here. That is, even here locally, our children's ministry is, we, we focus so much on it to be top-notch, to be inviting to the children, to be, uh, you know, receptive of the children. And we have three campuses, all three of them operating very similarly. And so I really think that just carries over into our community ministries and then into our international missions as well. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest thing for us is we want to provide uh, for kids the world over uh, the opportunity to flourish. Um, you know, I personally believe very strongly that in the verse where it says that Christ came to give us life and give it abundantly. Like, I really believe that. And I believe that that's part of our job is to give them the opportunity to live an abundant life. Now, not necessarily monetarily or big houses or whatever, but in the joy of Christ, in, in the salvation that he offers, bringing that into their context, lifting out of extreme poverty, all of that together will give them that flourishing that, that I believe he's called us to give them. So, so how, so what are some of the different ways that, that you do that? Not just, um, globally, Obviously, you've got lots of countries that you're serving in and, and ministering in, but you said that's a big focus of Chet's Creek. So let's start on the local side. What are, what are you guys doing there in the Jacksonville area and beyond to to help children in poverty? And then how has that influenced what you guys do globally? Yeah, so probably locally, we're as we we're really continuing to drive into that. Um, we're partner with our local schools. We do a lot of work with uh, the guidance counselors to get school supplies, to get uh, food into the hands of children that are struggling, especially we wrap it around the holidays and stuff. Um, we're very active with uh, in the foster care community. So we do a foster parent support group. We have what's called our foster crew ministry where we wrap around. We have full teams wrapped around every foster parent family in our church that provides meals, that, uh, you know, helps with transportation of the kids, all that different uh, areas. Uh, all of the foster children in Jacksonville that are part of 
very similar sounding name, one more child. Um, we <laughs> partner every Christmas and we provide Christmas presents for every child that's in that. Um, and then we're taking it a step further, actually a month from today, we will break ground on our South side campus with what we're calling our hope center. So it's about a 12,000 square foot building <laughs> and, uh, it is a hundred percent focused on, uh, immigrant and refugee families and ministries to them, mm. ESL tutoring for, uh, kids we've learned through the guidance counselors that's one of the biggest struggles is immigrant family kids who come home the the children speak english and they're doing okay in school but they go home and the parents due to their lack of english mm -hmm. are not able to help so we're going to offer tutoring we're going to do uh hoping to do uh food distribution on fridays to give them food to last them over the weekend because a lot of their parents work um hoping that's another big step is some medical care um you know, free clinic kind of stuff. We'll see. That one's a little trickier. But uh, mm -hmm. so, yeah, so those are all the things uh, and some of our partners that we work with just getting into the communities and doing that. And then, yeah, that is kind of carried over. Um, one exact example is we've been working in South Africa for about, I don't know, 12 years now. And so just this past March, I think it was, um, we ran our first, we called it a future and a hope campaign. So in the township that we work in, um, school is free. However, uh, they can't get into school unless they have the full kit, right? The full uniform and shoes mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. And so there's about 130 children from this township that start school each year, but majority of them cannot because their families can't afford all the paraphernalia. So, uh, and of course, if they don't start the first year, the odds of them ever starting is really minimal. So we raised mm -hmm. literally, we, our hope was to raise up to $15,000 so we could put this entire group of uh, grade K kids into school. And in the course of two weeks, we raised $30,000. So that was an oh, amazing thing. And so we got these great pictures of all the kids going to school their first day with their little backpacks full of school supplies, their full kit on. And, and, uh, yeah, just hoping to see that through this process, they'll stay in school that will begin to break that cycle of poverty that is so prevalent, uh, in that township in particular. So, um, yeah, so a lot of what we do locally, we're trying to say, you know, this is this is kind of your first step. Do it locally, and then let's send you over and do some trips overseas, and you get to see how uh, it really mm -hmm. carries over into both sides of the missions. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's ironic. The um, here at One Child, whenever we are working in one of the fifteen countries that we serve in, um, and we work through local churches, they establish their own. Um, uh, location there in the church, working in the community with the children. And we call those hope centers. And what you described is what you're doing uh, there in Jacksonville is, is very similar to what we're seeing on, um, a, you know, it, the same, the same categories in, in these countries. That's, that's amazing. You know, you've got, you, you, you serve in, you know, a lot of work in, in Nicaragua with the school um, that you're partnering with down there. And then you've got work in India and Thailand and, Cambodia, you mentioned South Africa. Um, what are some of the other kind of projects and things that you guys are doing in, in those countries in order to uh, impact children? Yeah, so uh, we'll start with Thailand. I'm going to Thailand uh, in May to visit our partner there. So we partner with a group called Asia's Hope, 
And so they actually work in Thailand, Cambodia, and India. And um, so for close to 10 years now, we have sponsored one of their homes. So they've got a huge campus in northern okay. Thailand. And the way they run, rather than a more institutional-style um, orphanage, they have built family homes. And they have long-term okay. house parents that literally function as parents to these children. The same, they don't rotate the children around. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. almost all their house parents have been there the entire time. And they raise them as if they're their own children. They're all on one campus and they do a lot of interaction and stuff. But each night they go and they eat with their family. They eat a, you know, do homework mm-hmm. with their family. They, they sleep all in the same home together. And, um, so we, Funded to build one of those homes, and we continue to fund the day in and day out operation of one of the homes on that campus. And uh, and so we've now, because we've been at it for ten years, we've got kids that have gone through, and they've graduated high school, and now several of them are in university and doing just fantastic. And uh, so they also fund scholarships for those kids. So. And the beautiful part is, some who have already made it through university are really getting into. Uh, strong jobs in the government and in the private sector that are influencing the country as a whole. And and the government mm. is starting to take notice. They're thankful for what's going on there and, and the the graduation rates and all of that. So um, that's fantastic. Yeah, really excited about that. Um, India, we're really just I was there a few months ago. We're just getting involved there, um, partnering with an indigenous church planting group. And uh, right. and they've they they're what they're doing is crazy amazing my favorite thing is um so there's a orungabad is the city but there is still a leper colony there um mm. so very impoverished uh you know shack slum type area and the majority of people in the slum do not have leprosy but their relatives did their ancestors did and so they still have that blanket of shame on them they can't get jobs mm. um it's mm. there's a lot of violence in there um and so our partners there, what they've done is we do specifically for the widows and the single mom homes, we do a monthly food distribution that will get them enough food for the basics for the entire month. Um, we've started, they call it a daycare. I'm not sure it's the proper name for it, but in their context, that's what they call it. Um, just on the outside of the community that's open 24 hours a day, the kids can come there anytime that they feel unsafe. Um, Every afternoon, there's tutoring for them. Um, every single day of the week, there's one good, and I say, I mean, I sat and ate with them. It was an amazing meal that we provide for all the kids <laughs> that come um, from that colony. And then there's a church they've planted in there. And so they're getting the nutrition. They're, uh, the kids, all of them that come out and go to the tutoring are just they amaze me how incredibly smart and, and well they're doing in school. And they all now are starting to have ambitions beyond just the very basic level employment that their parents can get. Um, they want to make a difference. And so, yeah, that was probably one of my favorite days in a very long time when I was there with them. Um, Nicaragua, we partner with uh, a couple that are down there running a Christian school and doing a fantastic job. I'm actually going to see them next month. And, uh, so the work they do there is phenomenal. And again, they're investing in not only the families of the staff and teachers helping them come out of poverty they've been in, but uh, the education they're giving to these kids is such a high level 
that their potential for moving out of the lower rungs of society is is phenomenal. And of course, it's all Christian based and leading them through uh, mm-hmm. through their faith. So fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm missing somebody in this thought process, but yeah. So <laughs> that's some of that's what we're great. doing. It is. It's amazing. Um, you know, when you whenever you're dealing with different countries, different cultures, different um, geographical regions, different political environments, uh, religious environments, and kids, um, then you, you're going to face challenges that are are kind of run the gamut. What are some of the challenges that you guys have faced uh, in helping to reach children uh, in all of these different countries, and how have you had to navigate some of those challenges, and what have you had to do? Yeah. So, I mean, needless to say, just thinking of the last few years of COVID, that's probably been uh, some of our most challenging just because both Thailand and South Africa, when they went to full lockdown, it was very long and is devastating towards, you know, like our the township that we work in in South Africa, the unemployment rate is now hovering around 80 percent. And so we've taken Mm. them from already struggling with poverty to desperation. And then, of course, that also has led to increased violence uh, towards just in general, but specifically towards uh, young girls. And uh, so all of the things that go with that, um, the government in Thailand was difficult to deal with as far as that as well. Um, to, to an extent, they even I think at times were thinking about that the group homes we're not safe. And so just navigating all that with like our partner did, did most of that, but just trying to encourage them through that. And, and, uh, again, getting food into their, uh, the government didn't even want them to come out to go shopping. And so how do we feed all of these kids when they don't want us to come and, and, uh, interact with the community? So, I mean, um, uh, yeah, it's a constant struggle constantly, you know, being there for our missionaries, working with them, um, I served, my wife and I served in the Philippines for about three years and Pakistan for about three years. And uh, the constant struggle of dealing with, you know, governmental limitations mm-hmm. because of visas. Um, I had a small outreach to some of the street kids uh, in Pakistan in the area I was with. And, you know, the reality being that any time I provided something to them, the majority of it was then taken from them. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know that we ever have the answers, but mm-hmm. more than anything, a tenacity to, to stick with it. And, and that's what they want, right? That's what they, mm-hmm. that's when the trust really starts to build when, when it's difficult, when, uh, we're having to fight against cultural norms or governmental problems but we're still there with them and we don't just walk off and say, it's just too much. Uh, that's when life change transformation really begins to happen for them. So mm-hmm. having served, um, in the Philippines and in Pakistan, um, I'm sure you have a unique perspective coming back there at Chet's Creek and, and doing this. What are some of the lessons that you learned serving um, in those contexts that have helped you when it comes to the ministries that, that you're reaching out to and the things that you guys are doing at Chet's Creek? Yeah, I think um, probably the biggest change in me was uh, going over there 
and I'd been on a lot of short-term mission trips around the world and stuff, but these two contexts in particular were so drastically different, you know, on a day-to-day basis that Mm -hmm. it took you outside of that, that box of neatly formed theologies and doctrines that like, Oh, this all makes sense. And God is so easy to understand. And, and then you go over there and it's, it's not easy to understand. It's not these simple platitudes that'll solve all the problems. There are just harsh realities that you have to face every day. And, and you begin to see humility and hospitality and kindness and gentleness in the faces of people that, for so long, you've been told is more of an enemy to you than a friend. And so, um, and you have to step through that initial feeling of fear to step into and immerse yourselves in the lives of, of the other, right? These other people that we don't know how to define because they're different than us. And so then coming back and um, trying to pull along, push along, however you want to phrase that, uh, the people here in our church who are some of the most giving people I've ever witnessed in my entire life, but saying, okay, this is more than giving. Let's step out of the comfort and into the difficult. And uh, it's also extremely rewarding when you when you do see that light go off and they go and they serve in, a, in an underprivileged uh, apartment for a day and just see the the reality of what it is and can happen when you go and you love on people that look so different than you and what they can enrich your life with. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's probably the most rewarding part of what I do. So... Jody reminds us of something that we all know, but often need to be reminded of. When we give ourselves to others, we're usually the ones who end up being changed the most. We'll get back to our conversation with Jody after this brief message from One Child. Together we believe extreme child poverty has an end, and it starts with hope. Hope is a vision for a better future, a way to get there, and the courage to try. And it is built through the church all over the world, coming together as one global community to help children thrive. We create a partnership experience that reflects your heart for the world. Together, we find the point where our mission and vision intersect to address the needs of children living in hard places. Together, we are a community that sees children as solutions, not problems. A community with the courage to go to the hard places. A community that gives so children can thrive. Together, this is us. Your church, a shared vision, celebrating global impact through the local church. For more information, visit onechild.org slash partnership. 
It's clear that the work Chats Creek is doing around the world is changing the lives of countless children. But I asked Jody to share some stories of how it's changing lives at Chats Creek. Yeah, so, you know, probably one of my my favorite ones, when we first started going to South Africa, uh, one of my good friends who was on staff here at Chats Creek was going and to say that she fell in love with the kids there in, in the township um, would be an understatement. And she kept going back and kept going back. And then eventually she and her husband and kids moved there and lived there for a year or two years mm-hmm. and just, I mean, full on invested in life with these kids. And uh, so, I mean, drastic life change. Uh, and man, it was so awesome to watch. So, and she, even now, you know, she's back, she's working at another church and she's still actively taking people every year to go over there and be a part and experience that. And uh, yeah, so I mean, you'll say that's one of the most drastic ones, but um you, I mean, honestly, this Hope Center, right? This Hope Center is a reality that has come out of people getting excited about seeing the lives of kids and immigrants and refugees flourishing, right? When we came to the church and we said, guys, you know, as all churches do, well, we need to build something, whatever. But we said, with all these other projects that we're wanting to do and all these other ministries, we feel called to build this Hope Center. And it's going to cost us you know, several million dollars. And are you guys in for it? And the overwhelming response was, oh, we're absolutely in for it. And they have fully funded the, the project. And, uh, and yeah, and so we get to break ground and have a big, you know, it's, we're actually breaking ground on the Hope Center on the day of our 25th anniversary as a church. And so That's awesome. it, to me, it tells such a beautiful story because rather than let's get together and let's look at the last 25 years and just celebrate all the stuff that we've done. Or of course we get afraid of what God's done through us. But instead we're saying, look what God is going to do in the next 25 years, right? We're going to celebrate a kickoff of another quarter century and investment in lives of people that literally can impact the world. And I think that's where they're catching the vision is that, you know, as I've come back and I've, my, one of my greatest passions is immigrants and refugees and um, especially the kids, but letting them realize that, especially here in Jacksonville, so many are coming into Jacksonville from countries that we would have very limited access to and mm-hmm. the opportunity to serve them, to love them and to share the love of Christ with them is so real. And then as they begin to hear the stories and interact and realize as much as they love it here, they have this strong pull to go back as well. And so it's like, okay, so then we share with them, we love them, we lift them up and give them the love of Christ. And then they take the gospel with them back to, I mean, we're then in reality, everything we do there in that center is missions. It is literally spreading the love of Christ the world over and in honestly more effective ways than those of us that show up with an American passport and a culture that doesn't doesn't always mesh. So um, I think that, that yeah. So that's it. The the culmination of seeing this, seeing them fund this, seeing them get behind this uh, mission that's much bigger than anything we've ever done of building this center and dreaming about what God's going to do through it and um, yeah, and and getting that vision of 
using work here through kids, through immigrants, through refugees in order to take the gospel back even to places that we could not go, even if we wanted to. So if you were having a conversation with a missions pastor that really wanted to kind of get laser focused, their church wanted to, to focus in on working um, with poverty alleviation for children around the world, what's like the most important piece of advice or, or, or a couple of pieces of advice you'd give that missions pastor? To me, and this is what I had to do, was to educate myself before ever stepping into it. And that's not, I'm not saying like go to seminary. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, you know, there are some incredible resources out there, uh, you know, books like When Helping Hurts, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, and a a lot that comes through the Chalmers Institute, just videos and seminars and all these different things to make sure that as we step into these realms of working with poverty alleviation and uh, making sure that we have the proper mindset that we don't come in with all the answers. We're not the saviors. We're not the, we're just there to say, we want to be a part of the solution and investing in them to say, what do you see as the opportunities to help your community and to honor the culture of your community? And um, so to me, that's, you know, that's just step one. As, as I talk to even people that want to volunteer and be a part of what we're doing locally and around the world, you know, is have a conversation of what are your expectations? Is this a, I just want to go and, you know, say it's okay. But there has to be a level of making sure that we understand that each of these people are an image bearer of God mm-hmm. and are deserving of value and dignity regardless of how different they may be from us and what they believe or how they act. And that you have the job of going over and being with them, immersing into their story and being impacted as much by them as they ever will be by you. And I think if you have that mindset, then going in, then you can truly be effective and, and, um, finding good partners, you know, uh, they're out there. You guys are out there. One more child is out there. Uh, there's so many different organizations that are out there that you can go in and partner with who are already doing the good work rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and, mm-hmm. you know, utilize the experts. You guys are the experts. These other organizations are the experts and they are doing it and doing it well. And so we can just invest in that. And really at that point, it becomes a multiplication thing rather than just another site. It's a expansion of what's already happening. You're investing your time and your money and your people into an organization that can now just take it to another level or expand the operation there. And, you know, our partner in South Africa is called Living Hope. That word keeps coming up. Um, and <laughs> so their primary work was in, is in Cape Town, um, our primary work is in East London. And so as we decided, hey, this, this needs to be a partnership. Now Living Hope, who has this amazing, powerful, beautiful organization, is now taking all the stuff they already know how to do and putting it in East London with our investment of dollars and time and people. And so, again, we're not trying to just figure it all out and we show up once a year or whatever. 
now they have staff that we fund that are there every day of the year and programs that can run 365 days a year and we invest time people money um, and then now because of that partnership other churches can now become involved and it's just again it's exponential rather than just what we can do on our own so Lots of important truths in today's episode. Here are three that stood out to me. First, small things can make a big impact, like making sure a child has the proper uniform for kindergarten so that they start strong in school, and that changes their life forever. Second, tenacity is more important than having the right answers. Things will always need to be shifted and changed, but we'll only do those things when we are fully committed to never giving up. And finally, Be smart enough to recognize that you don't have all the right answers and that you need to educate yourself. Jody mentions when helping hurts in the Chalmers Center, these resources and others are critical to making a positive impact with those in extreme poverty around the world. I want to thank Jody for joining me on this episode of the Missions Pastor Podcast. If you want to learn more about Chet's Creek Church, go to chetscreek.com. And thank you for listening to the Missions Pastor Podcast. The show is presented by One Child. One Child is a global community of child champions that serves children in poverty so they can discover hope and reach their God-given potential. To learn more about how your church can partner with One Child to bring hope to hard places, go to onechild.org slash partnership.